You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. How's everybody doing today? It is good to see you. Thank you for joining us for worship today as we have necessarily gathered to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. For those that might be our guest this morning, we're obviously grateful that you are here as well. My name is Jake Turner. I am the executive pastor here. I wanted to say a quick word of thanks for those that attended Newcomers Night Out last night. We were few in number, but the conversation was sweet and the food was spicy. So we had a good time talking together and really kind of exchanging conversation with one another about how the Lord is at work here at Lost Mountain. So it was a great time for us to gather. Thank you for your attendance and your presence there. I wanted to give you a little update on why I am standing up here this morning and our lead pastor Matt is not. For those of you who are not aware, Matt had to take a quick trip to Texas His dad usually receives some pretty routine shots at the base of his brain to assist with some significant back problems that he has, but one went terribly wrong and resulted in a brain bleed that actually prompted emergency surgery. So they flew out there, he and Cade, Matt's dad made it through a very extensive surgery. He's doing well, last I heard, but Matt and Kate are there with them this morning, so we are going to spend some time praying specifically for Matt's family this morning and also some obvious things that uh, continue to go on in our world. So I want to commit the next few moments uh, of prayer specifically as a gathered church because that is one of the elements of our worship. We pray together because God acts when we pray. And so if you would, let's uh, tune our attention to the Lord as I pray and then we will jump in to our text Actually, you know what? Um, Go ahead and turn to James chapter three. I'm gonna switch it up a little bit. I would like to read our text first and then pray over our morning together. So I'll give you just a couple of seconds to turn to James chapter three. And we're going to be at the latter part of the chapter in verses 13 through 18. But I can go ahead and throw this out there. We're probably going to make our way through James chapter 3 completely today. It's not very long, but there is a lot of good wisdom and insight that James wants to speak to us today. So beginning James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18, I'll be reading out of the NIV James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer this morning. And as we read earlier, as we worship, may your name be revealed or revered as holy. We pray your grace would always proceed and follow us as we give ourselves to good works. Father, we're very much aware of what continues in our world today. So we pray for your protection upon the men, women, and children 
who did not ask to be caught in the midst of war. For those who've lost everything, please provide them with stability, resources, and favor required to begin their lives again. We pray for the healing and restoration of those grieving the loss of family and friends. We pray for the downfall of those who have violated the sanctity of peace. Their brutality will surely be answered by your righteous justice. We pray for the hope of the gospel to be widespread because healing and peace can only be realized through the blood of Jesus. And we pray ultimately, Lord, that peace would prevail in this situation. The peace that you provide that surpasses all understanding to guard hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray for those within our own church that are suffering today. We remember Joanne and Alan Hooper as Joanne sits beside her husband who is still unresponsive, yet they are in the midst of a season of suffering. We pray for your peace to rest upon them in this moment as we pray for them. We pray for those that are watching online this morning because they are homebound. They can't make it in face-to-face -face fellowship today. I pray that your peace would be there and attending to them as well. And I pray for us in this room. As I was looking out, uh, watching the countenance of people's faces, uh, I, I know stories and People seem frustrated, people seem happy, people seem troubled. And so whatever the case, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance that brought them to this place this morning, I pray that they would hear the word of truth. Of what it means to possess godly wisdom. And I pray that you would minister to our hearts and further transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray together. Amen. There's a lot of ooh going on. Are we okay? Excellent. We're gonna keep moving on then. Okay, so... This is what's referred to as a standalone message. We're not connected to one of our series right now. We just finished up our false faith series. But I think this is going to be a good piggyback off of that false faith series. We were talking about cultural Christianity and how that is just prevalent in the South. It's, it's very interesting how you'll have conversations with people and uh, they are connected to Jesus specifically through uh, the relationships with they've had, that they've had with relatives or something along those lines, or they, they've made a decision at some point in their lives that it has, it's had no lasting effect and it's reaped no fruit within their lives whatsoever, but you ask them about how they are with God himself as he has demonstrated his forgiveness through Jesus and they think they're good. And so what I want to talk about today specifically is the wisdom that takes deep root in legitimate followers of Jesus and what that looks like and what James has to say specifically about that. And I'm going to provide us with a little bit of background. I know many of us have studied or read through the book of James in several instances throughout our lives as believers, but uh, James has often been referred to as James the Just throughout church history due to his wise leadership. He is the half-brother of Jesus. Most of us know this. After the resurrection, he would go on to be one of the principal leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Now let's talk about the writing a little bit. When is this actually taking place? This was most likely written in the early to mid-40s A.D., 
And this is to Jewish Christian house churches that are located outside of Palestine. They were greatly discouraged and their lives were marked by consistent persecution and destitution. So James is admonishing these collections of churches that are outside of Palestine and they're just ready to turn back to worldly living because of everything that they have caught up in regards to them being financially destitute as well as just being persecuted as Jewish Christians. And what I want to do right now is just kind of take a brief walk through through all of James chapter 3 to kind of set up the context. Because we're very well versed in what James 3 has to say, but within the context of where our focal passage is this morning, we have the taming of the tongue, which starts in James 3 chapter 1. So go ahead and shoot back up to James 3 chapter 1. And it starts with verse 1 where James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, that's terrifying considering I'm up here this morning. It's a great encouragement to me. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Let's stop right there for a second. So James is making this comparison of of bits into the mouths of horses and small rudders steering large ships. And yet we have this tongue, a simple organ that is located amongst our members, but it talks a big game and it is full of deadly poison. Let's, let's bring that close to home real fast. I fear that the tongue has the tendency to be full of its deadly poison in the midst of us as a church. By show of hands, how many of you have ever heard another person speak wrongly of another person while you were in a church? By show of hands. Okay. It's interesting. Most of us, when I asked that question, you had a moment pop in your head that you were very much aware of and you can vividly remember. This is not characteristic of the people of God. It should not be. And James is is commenting on this specifically because this is something that is prevalent within the church, no doubt, that is happening here. And yet, here we are over 2,000 years later, and that is something that is still prevalent within Christ's church. And he will go on to say, my brothers, that should not be. And let me say that to us this morning, brothers and sisters, that should not be. That should not be characteristic of our makeup as legitimate followers of Jesus. When our conversation should be seasoned with salt and everything that should leave our mouths should be for the edification of building up brothers and sisters in Christ. But we have these side conversations that we maintain. And 
we, we think they don't have um, any, any problem or any issue because they're just kind of side comments. They're, they're said behind closed doors or they're said in secret, but James says this shouldn't be. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can, bro- can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So let's say, for instance, I go over to David McGinnis's house. And David McGinnis has a peach tree in his backyard. Do you have a peach tree in your backyard? This is a poor example. He doesn't have a peach tree in his backyard. But say that he did. And say the peach tree is out of season, and so there are no peaches on it. But I come over to David's house, and I duct tape a bunch of apples to it. And David McGinnis walks out in his backyard, and he takes one look at his peach tree, And he looks at me like I'm the craziest person he's ever met in his entire life. One, his tree is not currently bearing peaches. Two, I'm the crazy person that took a roll of duct tape and a sack of apples and duct taped every single one of them to his peach tree. And so this is not adding up. This is not making sense. And this is exactly what James is communicating. When it, becomes, when it comes to the follower of Jesus, when blessing and cursing come out of our mouths, our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus should be looking at us like we're kind of crazy, like we've just duct taped a bunch of apples to a peach tree. And so I want to challenge us this morning to understand, is this something that is routinely characteristic of what we do? And it happens, it happens in very unique ways. It can happen through a casual conversation with a person when we're scrolling through social media and we see something funny that is demeaning to another individual and both of us laugh about it. It can happen so discreetly that we're not even aware that it's happening. And we get to our text today that says specifically that there is two kinds of wisdom beginning in verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So there are two types of wisdom. In verse 15, he says, Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And so, first and foremost, I I want today's message to be intensely practical for our purposes, so it sticks to our hearts a little bit better. So, I'm going to state some very obvious things, and you're going to look at me as if that's not very profound, because it isn't, because it's right there for us to glean from, okay? So, two types of wisdom— There's earthly wisdom. Now, what is earthly wisdom about? Well, number one, it's earthly. It's as simple as that. So what does that mean? What what is earthly wisdom specifically? It's concentrating specifically on the here and the now. Everything that we direct our attention and our affection to concentrates on the here and the now. 
from our relationships with others to our bank accounts to our social media presence to you hear what I'm saying the things that inevitably have no eternal significance whatsoever the things that are, are, are in the process of being removed so that we can look and be transformed more into the image of Jesus. Everything about earthly wisdom is passing away because it concentrates specifically on the world that you and I currently reside in. And that world is something that Jesus is renewing moment by moment. And it will someday be perfected. Earthly wisdom is earthly. Earthly wisdom is also unspiritual. And what this means is that there's no regard for God's complete control over the world that he has created in which he is mercifully allowing you and I to exist in. Earthly wisdom is unspiritual. It's interesting how the breaths that we're taking right now, the inhaling and the exhaling, like we take these for granted because we don't necessarily realize that these are mercies that God is affording to us because he is sustaining our lives with every breath that we take. Our hearts within our bodies continue to pump blood to the vital organs that allow us to think and to process and to move appendages. And we think we are self-made people. We think we're the ones that are responsible for getting ourselves up in the morning and picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps and going out and earning a living and grinding it out and coming back home and doing it all over again the next day. Yet, we are gravely mistaken if we don't think that there is a sovereign God who has orchestrated every one of our thoughts, every one of our movements, every one of the sustaining instances of our lives where he keeps us moving and functioning and working. It is all in accordance with his grace. It is all in accordance with his mercy. Finally, Earthly wisdom is demonic. This has everything to do with the lies that we believe about ourselves and the lies that we hear from other people. Jesus says himself in John chapter 8, verse 44, in regards to our adversary, the enemy, Satan, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You have lied and you have been lied to. Can anyone, by a show of hands, think of a time that you have lied or been lied to this week? Yeah. It's one of those things where we just can't necessarily escape from, right? We understand that uh, Jesus has conquered sin and death through his sinless life and substitutionary death, burial, bodily resurrection, yet we are still attached to a sinful nature that we will only be delivered from upon his return. And so there is a choice before us every morning of life and death. If we are choosing the life that leads to godliness or if we are choosing the life that leads to our ultimate demise. So moving on to verse 17. There's earthly wisdom and obviously there is heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. 
Now, now this is interesting because this sounds a lot like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5. And James is very much aware of what he has heard his half-brother speak. James was around. James was ingesting all of this content as Jesus made the rounds in his earthly ministry. And so this is coming out in his writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You can go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You can go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those for, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I love James chapter 3, verse 18 right there. The NIV says peacemakers are peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I sort of like the English standard rendering better where it says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you have a characteristic of a peacemaker? is a harvest of righteousness sown in peace because you are one that is necessarily contributing to the overall peace of your individual life, of your family life, of your church life. Is my life and is your life marked by one of peacemaking? Do we understand what peacemaking means? Ken Sandy says this in his book, The Peacemaker. Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ, and then they bring his love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. God delights to breathe his grace through peacemakers and use them to dissipate anger improve understanding, promote justice, and encourage repentance and reconciliation. When we place ourselves under heavenly wisdom, we become peacemakers. We become those people who exchange interactions in our relationships with those that we come in contact with on a daily basis, and we do what Ken Sandy says, where we breathe out grace, where we consider others better than ourselves, when we don't flip off anybody in traffic, when we tip the horrible waiter or waitress that has given us the worst service ever. Maybe they've even dumped a drink on us, and we double the tip anyway. That's upside-down thinking. You're paying for a service, and you want good service. You pay for a service still, and you get bad service, and you're going and talking to the manager. Do something upside-down today. Whether it's going to a restaurant, whether it's considering another person better than yourself, These are characteristics of the people of God. And the great thing about it is, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your level of intellectualism. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you can do. Because we are all recipients of the grace and mercy of the sovereign God of the universe. He holds everything in the palm of his hand. And you and I 
get to be co-heirs with Christ for those that are in him. What a humble thing to be a part of. What a realization to make. That is not earthly wisdom. That is characterized by heavenly wisdom. And so in light of what we've just kind of walked through in, with earthly wisdom and with heavenly wisdom, I'm assuming most of you want to gravitate towards the heavenly wise column. Am I right? Okay, nobody necessarily wants, though you may often participate and slide back into the column of earthly, unspiritual, and demonic things, We want to be over here. We want to be in the heavenly wise column. So how does that inform our living? How does that inform the way we live? How does that transform the way that we think? I'm super glad you asked. Three ways to live. And this works individually And this especially works corporately as a church. Number one, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and side with Paul here from Ephesians chapter four, verse three, where he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So at the back of our minds, we have, you know what? I do. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be a peacemaker in every interaction that I have with another human being. So how are we supposed to live if we are to remain in the heavenly wise column? And remember, I'm going for intensely practical today. So these are overly simplistic for the purpose of them sticking to our hearts so that we can actually walk out of here today and say, oh, that was nice. I'm going to forget it as soon as I get in my car. But No, the intention today, just like it is every week when we put ourselves under the authority and sufficiency of God's word, is that we would be transformed by it. That I would be transformed by it. I pray this every week in the volunteer room before we go out to our different positions and volunteer throughout the church that this would not be another mundane or routine thing that we do. You and I do enough things in our lives. We go to enough places. We have enough obligations. This should be more informing than going to get our driver's license renewed. This should be more building up of ourselves than going to the grocery store. This is a different part of your week that you gain encouragement from by being together with the body of Christ. And it's a little bit different for me because, you know, this is, this is my job. And so on Sunday mornings, I have so many things going on in my mind, but I'm asking the Lord. I'm asking the Lord on a weekly basis as I move from one thing to the next, as I move from one conversation to the other, I pray that I would be able to breathe grace in every single situation. So I want to challenge myself to continually do that, and I want to challenge you to do that as well. In order to be a peacemaker, you have to breathe grace in the situations that you find yourself in. Number one, live well. Live well. What does that mean? What do I mean by living well? Again, we can look to Paul here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Obviously, this is easier said than done. We are about our own personal interests. But then again, 
We are attempting as followers of Christ to be about the interests of others. Here's the deal, guys. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. Don't put the pressure of being too important on yourself. We're not a big deal. And I know in this age of influencing and social media and content creation, we feel like we are. But I've got a newsflash for us. We aren't. Again, intensely practical, super simplistic. I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the Facebook and Instagram reels because if you watch one of them, you have to watch like 936 of them because they just keep going. Once one is over, another one pops up and they just keep going and they keep going. But if you notice, we are becoming increasingly desensitized to the detriment of the image of God. And what I mean by that is they keep getting more ridiculous and more humane each and every, more inhumane each and every day because the content creation and creators have to push the envelope to where they get us to stop dead in our tracks and we're just kind of like, wow, did they actually do that? I mean, you've seen these things, right? Anybody that's engaged in social media, this is the case. This is the case, one reel right after the other, and the videos are getting more and more intense and more and more vulgar. And it's very interesting to see because they're not only marring the image of God within themselves, they're doing it to other people. Because we're sitting there just kind of glued to this like, wow, they really did that and this really just happened. So we are desensitizing ourselves to the detriment of the image of God. And I think James is communicating to us, we need to live better than that. We need to live well. We need to count others better than ourselves, and we need to serve. So we live well. We also, I know this is going to be profound, we live wisely. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord. What does that mean? The fear of the Lord is the reverential awe of who He is. Are we reverently approaching God on a daily basis? Are we taking those moments and capitalizing on those moments where we have just a few minutes of stillness, a few minutes of quietness, where we can just sit in our car before the next appointment and breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the Orthodox Jesus prayer. I employ that myself a lot. I know it's not Baptist. But it is a prayer that the saints have prayed throughout thousands of years. It's the simple prayer of Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because you're acknowledging the Lordship of Christ. You're acknowledging who he is. He's the Son of God. You're asking him to be merciful upon your identity, attached to sin still, but delivered because of his grace and mercy. And so living wisely... Living wisely means living within our limitations. I hope you know this, but you're a limited person. 
and I am a limited person. Living within my limitations is necessary and healthy because it keeps me grounded in the knowledge that I am the creature and he is the creator. I am finite, he is infinite. You and I have our limitations and we have to embrace them. Like I said before, man, we are a driven society. We love to grind it out and we love to be successful and we love to feel good about ourselves when we accomplish all of our goals. But we need to realize that each and every one of us have limitations. We just have to do it. I love uh, this book. I just finished. It's called A Short Guide to Spiritual Disciplines and How to Become a Healthy Christian by Mason King. And he says this, limits are God's way of showing us how to live the good life as finite created beings. We call limits weakness and God calls them wisdom. Embrace your limitations, guys. You have them. You know what they are. Don't consider it a sign of weakness and try to move past them. We have to embrace those things because they're limitations and they're there for a reason. God has put them in ourselves. Living wisely also means giving ourselves away. Christians haven't been given spiritual gifts to show others how fantastic we are. <laughs> They're employed as a means to serve other people. This is what Jesus did. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I received and passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done. He has given his life in humble service for us, because what are we? Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And who are we when we are in him? This is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The blood of Jesus covers our sin so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see righteousness that we have obtained because we cannot obtain righteousness on our own. It takes the blood of an unblemished lamb so that when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith and his blood covers our sins, God looks upon the righteousness of Christ when he sees you. Not anything that you bring to the table because we bring nothing to the table. The righteousness of Christ covers us. And that should bring us to our knees in humble submission of who he is. This is the message of the gospel. This is deeply transformational for every Christ follower, not just when it happened, but every single day of our lives. Milton Vincent says it this way, the gospel must have a central place in my thoughts each day. Does the gospel have a central place in your thoughts each and every day? Or are we too busy trying to move past our limitations that we don't even give it another thought until we get back here on Sunday mornings? 
The gospel has to have a central place in my life each day where I'm thinking about it, where I'm considering it, where I'm in awe of everything that Christ has done for me. Finally, living wisely is the acknowledgement that wisdom is only found in Christ. Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And a few verses down in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom for God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. W- wisdom is a person. And that person is Jesus himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as Paul communicates to the church of Colossae. So we live well, we live wisely, and finally, we live humbly. Julie and I, we we like to find ourselves in trendy places that we're not cool enough for. And so this Friday, we found ourselves in a place called Bland Town. Apparently, that's like a super trendy neighborhood in Atlanta. It's over there by Ikea. It's the Upper West Side. We're still trying to figure out Atlanta, even after being here almost three years. But at the recommendation of Amanda Baldwin, we we checked out this place called Coffee Man. We're we're big kind of coffee snobs, and so we love checking out new coffee places. And we found this place, and it was everything that we wanted, It's super trendy. We're not trendy enough to be there, so naturally we're going to go there. And we're going to have coffee, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to pretend like we're young, and we're going to pretend like uh, we just started our own startup company, and we're making millions of dollars as we're grinding it out in a coffee shop. But Julie and I had this conversation, and it was about the way that we argue with one another. And I'll be honest with you, I don't process things quickly enough to be able to come up with a well-versed argument when we're engaging conversationally with one another about something that we need to work out. Julie is like a chess player. She's like, I am about 18 moves in front of you, and I see the checkmate. And I'm kind of sitting here just kind of playing with the pawns a little bit. Like, I don't know what's going on. And so we're having this conversation, and she makes the comment that she no longer wants to focus on winning an argument, but on hearing and understanding and being heard and understood. So as we engage as a married couple with one another, that's living humbly. That's an example of living humbly with one another. Marriage is a unique game, and anybody that's married can tell you that, especially those that have been married for a super long time. And so the fact that we can have this conversation with one another to where, where we consider each other and say we want to concentrate on being heard and hearing one another. That's something that's going to prove so helpful for our marriage moving forward. And so we live humbly We live humbly individually, but we also live humbly as a church. As Tori made the announcement at the beginning, we have another membership class coming up. And these membership classes are for those that are newer to Lost Mountain that want to be involved 
and place yourself in covenant community here. But at the same time, if you've been a member for Lost Mountain for a long time and you've never come through this new covenant membership class, I encourage you to do, to do so because one thing that we ask as you consider this covenant membership that you'll actually sign saying that you're in agreement with everything that it says. But at the very top, number one says, I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward other members, by praying for its health and growth, by refusing to gossip or cause division, by joyfully following those in positions of spiritual leadership, by speaking in ways that build up my fellow members, and by resolving conflict personally, gracefully, and quickly. So that's wisdom. That's aligning ourselves in the column of heavenly wisdom by protecting the unity of our church acting in love, praying for its health and growth, refusing to gossip and cause division, joyfully following those in positions of leadership, even when they annoy you. (laughs) By speaking in ways that build up fellow members, by resolving conflict personally, gracefully, and quickly. See, James... It's interesting that later on in his life, he penned this letter. Let's take a, a, just a brief walk through of who James was and who he eventually became. In John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it says, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about In Judea, because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe him. Who is included in this verse right here? James. James is seeing the miraculous works that his half-brother is doing, and he is refusing to believe in him. He is not going to do that. But it's interesting Because when you make it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, after Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, you make your way a couple of verses down, and it says, and then in that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Verse 6, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. It's significant that Paul says he appears to James. Because after the resurrection, James understands who he is. His half-brother is indeed the Messiah, God incarnate, the anointed one, the very Lord of glory that James grew up with. And so James confesses that. And from that point on, he begins to live well. He begins to live wisely, and he begins to live humbly. 
to the point where Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9 says, On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 9, James Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. At this point, James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. And James is admonishing the recipients of his letter because he knows all too well what it's like to have a tongue that's full of deadly poison. There came a time when he humbly acknowledged who his half-brother was. As I said before, God incarnate, Jesus the Messiah, the Lord of glory. And his surrender to that truth allowed him to be one of the prominent leaders of the church of Jesus Christ that exists to this very day. And so we live well, we live wisely, and we live humbly, and we choose to align ourselves in the heavenly wisdom column. Because we want to be used by the one who has saved us so that people can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And we do so by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we're going to transition to a time of finishing up those connection cards. Man, if there is a prayer request that you have, if there is a next step that you need to take as a result of hearing the word of the Lord today, I pray that you would check that box and I will follow up personally with you today. So finish filling out those connection cards and giving envelopes. If you give to the ongoing ministry of Lost Mountain, we want to say that we appreciate your financial contributions because that allows us to fulfill the ministry that God has called us to here. And I'm just gonna do some real talk real fast. If you consistently benefit from the ministry of Lost Mountain and contribute nothing to it financially, that is unwise. And I'm not speaking personally about this. I'm speaking biblically about it. Because Christians are characterized by their generosity as well. And so we're going to transition to a time of having communion together, coming to the table, enjoying the body and the blood of Jesus until he comes again. And I'm going to say something else real fast. The sermon might be over, but worship is not. So just give it another thought before you get up and leave after I say amen. Okay? Fair enough. This is a family thing. As baptized believers, we're coming to the table. We get to feast on the Lord of glory until we feast with him when he comes again. We get to give generously so that money can be used for the ministry that God has called us to here nationally and globally. I want God to see, I want to see God do something pretty phenomenal here.
that he only gets the credit for. And that comes through our obedience. And one of the ways that we can do that is learning what it means to possess godly wisdom and implementing that into our lives. So would you stand with me? Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for your word. It's challenging, it's convicting, it's uncomfortable. It's all of these things, but above all of those things, it's necessary. And so however you want us to respond to that today, I pray that we would be obedient to do so. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. And I pray that we would shut up and listen. Help us to embrace our limitations. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to live well, wisely, and humbly. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our King our Savior, the Lord of glory. Amen. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us online at lmbc.us. Thanks for tuning in today.